Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church. Amen. Well, it is so great to have each and every one of you here with us today. We're so glad that you came, and we hope that you are getting connected and plugged in here at Oaks Church. This has been an amazing journey that we've been on. Today is our 13th Sunday. Can you believe it? Our 13th Sunday. Uh, We joked around because we're still a baby church, but we're a baby Huey church, right? There's a whole bunch of y'all coming and and plugging in with us. Thank you so much for your commitment to help us in kids ministry and help us with volunteering and hosting and serving and coffee ministry and all the different types of things. We're so grateful. We could not literally, there's no way that a church like this could have this type of success if it wasn't for the wonderful people that are linking arms and plugging in. And we're so grateful for you in that way. We've got some women's groups that have been launching, some men's groups that have been launching. This is a very exciting season for us, and we want to make sure that you guys uh, plug in with us, get connected, find a place to serve and volunteer and use your gifts for God. Uh, God only knows what he has in store for Oaks Church, and we're just happy to be along for the journey. Amen? Amen. Well, today I want to talk to you for just a second about the word passion. When you hear the word passion, what do you think about? Do you think about a romance novel? Maybe Mexican soap operas? (laughs) Telenovelas, right? Is that, did I say it right? I hear they're the best. I'm not a soap opera guy, but if I was, I would watch Mexican soap operas. I'm just kidding. We, We have a misconstrued perception of what passion is and what that word means. The word passion actually means suffering. To be passionate means to suffer. What are you passionate about? Who are you passionate about? Yes, passion can connect into romance, but it's not only about that. It's so much deeper. It's so much bigger. When I think about passion personally, I think about my children. I think about my wife. I think about the people in my life that I'm willing to suffer for because I love them so deeply. And as parents, come on, any parents in here, parents suffer, don't we? Oh my goodness. You know who suffers the most? Baseball moms. Of all moms out there, like volleyball moms, they're in the gym, no big deal. Football moms, it's nice and cool. Baseball moms, it's 800 degrees in Texas, and and they play 82 games a week. Baseball moms take one for the team, right? As a a dad of daughters, I I have jobs that I get to do. I get to go buy things at stores that boys should never buy, right? That's so awkward. I get to hold purses that don't match my shoes. I mean, if I have to hold it, make it match my shoes, at least, right? No, but there are specific things we can laugh about, joke about. All of us have things that we are willing to suffer for, but I want to tell you a story that I was very moved with. I did a little uh, study on this story this week, something I'd heard about in the past, but it's a story of a young man named Richard. He's not so young anymore. He's in his 50s now. But Richard was born with his uh, umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. And when he came out, he had developed cerebral palsy. And he was mostly non-responsive. And the doctors told his parents that there was no hope for him. This was back in 1962, that he should be institutionalized. And they should just be done with him because there was absolutely no hope for Richard at all. 
But there was a light in Richard's eyes, and as his parents would move around the room, he would follow them with his eyes, and they believed that there was something special in Richard. And so they disobeyed the doctors, and they kept Richard for themselves, and they raised him on their own. Now, it was a full-time job to raise a baby with cerebral palsy, especially in that era when there weren't as many uh, breakthroughs in modern science. And it wasn't until he was 11 years of age that they were able to fit him with a computer device that he was actually able to begin to learn to communicate with them using this computer device. And what they found is that Richard was actually incredibly intelligent. And when he was in high, at that point at 11, he began to be able to go to school and learn. And he was in special classes at school. He began to make relationships with different kids. And when he was in high school, there was a kid on the lacrosse team that got injured and was paralyzed. And Richard wanted to make a difference. And he wanted to communicate a message that even though, even though horrible things happen, even though you might be handicapped, that life still goes on and there's still great things that you can do with your life. So he asked his father in 1977 if they could run a race together to benefit this lacrosse player who'd become paralyzed. He wanted to prove that life went on no matter what your disability. His dad, Dick Hoyt, was not a runner and was 36 years old. And after their very first race, Rick said to his dad, using the computer to communicate, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. After their initial five-mile run, Dick began running every single day with a bag of cement in his wheelchair because Rick was at school and studying, unable to train with him. Dick was able to improve his fitness so much that even while pushing his son, he was able to obtain a personal record of a 5K run, 3.1-mile run in 17 minutes. Guys, that's less than six minutes a mile pushing, pushing someone. All the runners in the room are like impressed right now. But as of March 2016, the Hoyts, Team Hoyt, had completed over 1,130 endurance events, including 72 marathons, six Ironman triathlons. They had run the Boston Marathon 32 times, and they were then added to uh, the Hall of Fame for Triathletes Hall of Fame. There's a statue of them at the front of the entrance of the Boston Marathon. This is one of the greatest pictures of passion that I've ever seen. Uh, a, a picture where a father, and I watched some, I encourage you to watch some uh, interviews of the Hoyt family on YouTube, some beautiful testimonies of their family, of people that misunderstood that it was all about the son's passion to make a difference with his disability, to turn it into an ability, and his dad's passion to say, if this makes my son feel like, come on, we all know that, that Richard never actually ran. But in his mind, he's running. He says, Dad, when I run, I don't feel like I have a disability anymore. And for his dad to be willing to put that type of training in, to put those types of hours in, that's one of the most beautiful pictures of passion that I've ever seen. So what about Jesus' passion? What is Jesus passionate about? Can I tell you that he's passionate about you? To this day, Jesus is passionate about you. You are Jesus's passion. He is madly in love with you. Jesus, just to break down the story, came down from heaven. He didn't have to. 
He came from heaven. He invaded earth. He was born as a baby, born at a horrific time in human history, born to a slave nation that was uh, being run and dominated by Rome, grew up in an area where there was tremendous turmoil and all types of of, uh, chaos going on in the political system. And it was dangerous and dirty and disgusting at times. And he grew up, he went through all of that because he was passionate about you. Then he obeyed his father and he walked out the course of his life all the way to the cross. When's the last time you thought about the cross? When's the last time that you thought about the suffering of Jesus? What Jesus went through for you. See, it wasn't a quick ordeal. Now, it happened rapidly. And when you read through the stories, I encourage you to read through the stories of the crucifixion and the resurrection, especially this week. A powerful time to read that. But when you read through the stories, it seems uh, like there's a lot going on and and it's spread out and there's four different versions of it that all agree and come together. But it actually happened. He was arrested at night. By six in the morning, he's on trial. By nine in the morning, he's he's, he's in front of uh, Pontius Pilate. By noon, he's on the cross. And by 3 p.m., he's dead. The whole thing happened like this. But for Jesus, it didn't feel fast because he was beaten brutally. The Bible says that he was beaten beyond recognition. You could not recognize that he was a man. He was beaten so severely. His beard was ripped out of his face. Come on, I cry just trying to pluck a nose hair. Let alone have your entire beard ripped out of your face, beaten about the head, a crown of thorns pushed down, bleeding all over, beaten with the crown of thorns on his head. They spit on him. They cursed him. They, he wasn't on the cross uh, wearing clothes. He was naked, ashamed, uh, put on display for all mankind on the cross. They ripped his back completely open. His back was completely filleted, wide open. And then they put the robe on him, waited till the blood dried, and then ripped the robe off him again. And then when they put him on the cross, his wide open back is against the rough, rugged wood of the cross. Nailed to it, hanging, suffocating. And in his last breaths, he said, Father... Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's passion. That's love. Love so powerful that it forgives the very people that are trying to destroy. Why is it important to think about the cross? Because your freedom wasn't free. Your freedom wasn't free. And the farther we get away from the cross, the more likely we can be to become entitled, ungrateful, uh, distracted, uh, unaware, thinking that we deserve better than we deserve. Listen, we, we deserve the cross, not him. He was innocent. He never sinned. We deserve the cross. Jesus took what we deserve because he loves us. The cross is so important for us to focus on because the cross was the moment in human history where all of your sins 
and all of my sins and all of the sins of the world would be paid for once and for all. Every sin that would ever be sinned was paid for in that moment. The power of the cross is immeasurable. It's immense. The sins you haven't even thought about sinning yet were paid for on that cross. And all we have to do to access that forgiveness is to repent, to go back to a high place of thinking. That's what repent means, to change the way you think, to go back to a higher way of thinking and change your behavior because of the new way of thinking. And we can receive forgiveness for our sins, past, present, and future, because of a price that was paid 2,000 years ago. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself daily. Pick up their cross and follow me. I'm going to read that again. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's important that we understand that there should be a part of our daily routine. And, and, and listen, I believe that when you give your life to Christ and you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and, the, and the, the heavenly father through faith in Jesus Christ and you are saved and you belong to him and you're in relationship with him, I do not believe that he will let you go. Amen. You don't have to get saved again every day. You don't have to get saved again every Sunday. But Jesus said every day you should go to the cross. Every day you go to the cross. Why? Because it's good for you to remember what he did for you. It's good for you to remember the sacrifice, the suffering, to put into perspective what you may be going through in your life right now. Jesus went through more. We go to the cross daily, deny ourselves, pick up our own cross. What is your cross? Your cross is the road that you have to walk. You were born at a certain place, at a certain time, to a certain family, with a certain economic structure, with a certain a racial background, with a certain level of experience. No one has your experience. You have your own. And you have things in your life that you've gone through already. They're a part of your cross, a part of your suffering. Bad news is you have things in your future that are a part of your cross, a part of your suffering. We all go through life and it goes like this and we have wonderful days and then we have days where it crashes out of nowhere and it's a part of our cross that we pick up and we recognize that the suffering of Jesus Christ is what gave us the power to endure ourselves and overcome. The good news is that even though suffering comes in the future, the good news is that you don't go through it alone because Jesus goes through it with you and he sends people in your life that are your friends and your family, your brothers, your sisters that will fight with you and fight for you. That's why to be a part of a church like this that plugs in with people and wants to do life together because you're not supposed to do life alone. You're not supposed to go through your struggles alone. Some of you, the reason that you're cratering is because you're doing it alone and God doesn't want you to. He wants you to die to your pride, put your pride on that cross and go and find someone that you can just tell the truth to because a brother is born for adversity. We go to the cross daily, but guess what? 
we don't stay there. Why don't we stay there? God, God has not created you to live in a place of sorrow. It's important that, that godly sorrowness creates a, a great product inside of us. But we don't stay in that place of sorrow. Why? Because there's an influence that you're supposed to have in the world. And there's a difference that you're supposed to make in the world. And most importantly, the reason you don't stay at the cross, you go there daily and remember who you are and what he's done for you and what you're grateful for. But you rise up from that place and you go out from that place because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Jesus didn't stay in the tomb. Jesus didn't stay in hell. It's not your destiny for you to live in hell. It's your destiny for you to live a resurrected life in Christ Jesus. So every day, daily, we go to the cross, but also daily, we walk in the resurrection. Daily to the cross, daily to the resurrection. Can I read you the story in John chapter 20? This is the story of the resurrection. Verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple start, uh, started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter. I like that John, writing in his own gospel, had to put a little dig in there that he was faster than Peter. That's kind of funny to me. All right? So he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen, the grave clothes that Jesus had been wearing, and they were uh, there... But he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along panting, apparently, from behind and went straight into the tomb. So you see a difference in the personalities. John gets there first but waits. Peter's a little slower on the uptake. But when he gets there, he dives right in. Two different personalities of these disciples. is beautiful to me. He, he went straight on in. And uh, he saw the strips of linen that were laying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, he wants to make sure you know that again, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand. Watch this. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Even though Jesus had told them it was too fresh, it was too in their face, it was, they were too close to it. They couldn't recognize. They knew he was the Messiah, but they didn't understand how it was going to play out. So when he died and was in the grave for three days and three nights, they were devastated. And they didn't put two and two together until later. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, that's interesting that Jesus looked like a gardener. Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell him where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them the things 
that he had said to her. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most powerful moment in all of human history. The most powerful thing that has ever happened. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all of us would still be lost. The world would have never been changed. You know, one of the reasons, one of the translations or parts of the story, uh, and it's, it's an interesting point that, w- that it was women. There were a number of different women that actually made it to the tomb first before the men. Isn't it interesting that women op- often arrive at things before men? We do come around though. But in this specific situation, it was interesting and specific because when they came back initially, the men didn't believe them. And the reason is, is because in that day and age, in that culture, the testimony of a woman had no bearing. Different parts of the world to this day, in India, different cultures in the world, the position that women hold is not like the position you hold. And in fact, I learned that if a crime, when we were in India, I learned that if a crime is committed against a woman, her testimony against the accuser doesn't matter. It's invalid. The only way that that person can be persecuted is if there are three men that will validate the crime. Why am I telling you this? Because that's what it looks like when you have a culture with no Jesus. See, the the opportunity for women and men to be equal in society as we are today in our country is a product of of the work of Jesus Christ, a product of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The, the opportunity for all of us to be in this room today, all different colors, but all equal, is a product of the revelation and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The opportunity, come on, for all of us from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different statuses, different number of zeros, but sit side beside each other, all equal in the eyes of God because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It's only in countries where the resurrection power of Jesus Christ has invaded and, and gone through the countries and affected the culture that we see equality because it was from the gospel, it was from the Bible that it says that there, therefore there is now no more Jew or Greek, no more racial difference, no more man male or female, no more uh, free or slave. All are equal. All are one now in Christ Jesus. It's because of Jesus, the greatest, most powerful event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 describes that it's actually faith in the resurrection that saves you. Watch. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you believe that he was born, you will be saved. It doesn't say if you believe that he died, you will be saved. It says if you believe that he rose from the dead, that he will be saved. The resurrection is everything. 1 Corinthians 5, 14. And if Christ is not raised, our preaching is useless so is your faith. Aren't you glad that Jesus rose from the dead? Aren't you glad that there were over 500 eyewitnesses? This is not some type of a myth. This is an eyewitness account, your New Testament. And just for the record, your New Testament 
When they scientifically grade ancient manuscripts, your New Testament is the most accurate ancient manuscript, scientifically speaking, of that entire era. It's the most accurate ancient manuscript on the planet for that era. Do you understand that? Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a, a, a doctor and a historian. And his account is regarded as the greatest historical piece, actually scientific uh, historically proven account of any other document on the planet of that age. And there are no ancient manuscripts and documents that, that actually deny or can bring a case to prove something different. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. He is alive. He rose from the dead. He's coming back again, and he's given us his life. Amen? So daily we go to the cross so that we keep perspective so that we don't become entitled and ungrateful. But daily we arise and we connect to the resurrection. Why? Watch this. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. You have the ability to receive the actual life of Christ Jesus in your physical body on this planet. You don't have to go around tired. You don't have to go around beat up. You don't have to go around weary. You can actually receive the power of the Holy Spirit inside of your life and fill your physical body full of the life of Jesus Christ and transform you from the inside out. That is an actual opportunity that you have in your life. Amen? Watch this. Ephesians 1 verse 18, this is my last verse. Ephesians 1 verse 18, this is a prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer over you in just a few moments. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Watch this. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is exerted inside of you. The same power that rose Jesus from three days dead is available and it's already at work inside of you. Another verse says that he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, increasingly, exceedingly above anything you could ever ask, speak, or imagine according to the resurrection power that is already at work within you. It's already in you. Say that. It's in me. It's in me. His power is in me. You don't have to stay down. You don't have to stay depressed. You don't have to stay underwater. You can rise up. You can live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let me describe that power to you for one more second. That power was so, that resurrection power was so incredible. It says that it didn't just raise Jesus from the dead. There were dozens of other people that rose from the dead. People that had been dead for, for periods of time unknown rose from the dead and went through the city. That's how powerful that was, the resurrection power. It says that the mountains actually shook. It says that the altar was broken in half. It says that the veil that went across, like these big curtains, these are nothing. The veil that went across in the, from the Holy of Holies, it was, it was 60 foot long. It was, it was 20 foot high. And it was the fabric, listen to me, the fabric was as thick as a man's hand. 
four to five inches thick of fabric. And when Jesus died, the historical account says that the sky turned black, there was an earthquake, and the temp from the top, from 30 foot tall, it ripped in half from the top down, not from the bottom up, from the top down. And the record says that six team of oxen pulling in opposite direction could not have ripped that apart. God literally ripped the veil of the Holy of Holies and said, I'm not living in this building anymore. Why? Because he wants to live in you. He wants to live in you. He wants to live in you. And all you've got to do is invite him in. Last week I mentioned how he stands at the door of your life and he knocks. He knocks. He knocks. He's knocking on your door. Maybe, maybe you've got a beef with him. Maybe he let you down. Maybe he didn't come through for you. Maybe you lost someone precious. Maybe you were stabbed in the back. Maybe you were hurt by people. Maybe you were horribly mistreated from someone in authority. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe someone took advantage of you that represented him. But it wasn't him. It wasn't him. Don't make him pay for someone else's crimes. Don't make him pay for some type of situation because there may actually be something better on the other side. There may be something, if you'll allow him to go to work on you and teach you what he needs to teach you, there may be a brighter day for you. There may be a greater hope for you. There may be another sunrise for you. Your season isn't over. It starts with opening your heart and allowing Jesus in. Would you pray with me across this room? Just say this, say, Father, forgive me for my sins, for my attitudes, my grudges, my unforgiveness. Forgive me. I need you in my life. I don't want to keep going like this. I don't want to do life alone. I want to do it with you. I need your help. Come into my life. I put my faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I vow to live for him. Jesus, you're my Lord, my Savior, and I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.